it's up to you and me to shine a guiding light and lead the way. United by our cause, we have the power to pursue what we believe. We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Hello, welcome to this episode of New Horizons. I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks for your company. This week we feature part two of the interview with Errol Ingram. As a reminder, Errol is an orientation and mobility instructor based in Tasmania but has worked all over the country, is currently working now as an independent provider under the My Aged Care and NDIS systems. Let's talk about your caseload for a moment. I mean, obviously not the cases themselves, but how have you built that up and, and how long has it taken you? Yeah, I kind of, when I started, it's like, I guess anyone who starts a business, you think, oh, I've got to do all this promotion and, um, you know, really got to sort of get on the, the social media and all sorts of things. Probably how I started. So I did lots of uh, courses about social media, which is kind of a new thing for me, really. I'm just a Facebook user and not much else. But then I realised fairly quickly, I had a small group of um, clients that I was working with and and good old word of mouth, I think, works. Um, and kind of, I, I figure that's the way I like to, to work as well, a kind of more of a slow burn factor that if someone has found that I have been able to make a difference in their life and they tell somebody else and I get a phone call, you know, there's no better, for me, there's no better referral than that. Um, mm. Starting to get a few more referrals from um, different professionals in the field, um, optometrists and uh, people who work at the low vision clinics and and occupational therapists in the community. So suddenly word starts to spread and, and it sounds funny, but I actually don't want to get too busy because then, you know, the waiting lists start and all the things that people really dislike. You know, if somebody wants mobility and they need to be seen because they've had a near miss with a car or a, we were just talking about trucks before, but if they've had a near miss on the road or, you know, someone, someone's run into them or they've run into somebody who was rude to them or whatever, you know, they, they really need the assistance sooner rather than later so i don't like the idea of you know big big waiting lists so again in terms of being responsive i like to get out there the same week or the next week you know i'm not sure how long i can sustain that so the word of mouth at the moment's really good i've got enough work to keep me occupied but not too much that i'm um you know having to create a, a waiting list mm. What about the whole uh, ndis provider registration process have you gone through that and how was that yeah, look, I've been involved with that at a number of levels and, and I guess mainly through the uh, O&M Australia, uh, Association of Australia, OMAA. Uh, we put a submission in to um, the Commission, um, the NDIA Commission, to to um, push, push the case for mobility because what had happened was mobility is getting paid for but um, it's only really if you're plan managed or self-managed, you can refer for orientation and mobility. If your agency managed, it's really got to go through um, one of the bigger agencies who employ occupational therapists. Um, and that's because you need to be registered with the NDIA if your agency, you know, for an agency um, uh, managed program to access O&M. So that actually, our, our point with that was it actually compromises choice and control because the people who are self-managed or plan managed can access 
an independent service provider or the agency. So our point was, you know, the NDIA has created, um, you know, a really great opportunity for people to go into their own business, but then there is this um, difficulty in in referring for O&M if you're not with a big agency. So I think the Commission has realised that, but it's a very slow process. Um, I'm hearing rumblings that, that things are changing and it's been before the Commission for some time, um, but as yet no formal word that that's been approved. And when I say approved, it's that the um, the NDIS recognises O&M in the same way that it would say art therapy, music therapy, occupational therapy, physiotherapy, and, and there's a number of others uh, that have got formal recognition where they appear in the lists of recognised professions. So uh, OMAA is pushing really hard on that one. And, um, you know, and I've kind of taken a particular interest and probably some self-interest on behalf of the other independent services providers that that happens. Uh, the other byproduct of that is a lot of people don't know what O&M is and I think once the uh, NDIS recognises it as a, uh, as a profession in the same way that art therapy and music therapy and OT is, is recognised, I think that'll be a great thing for the profession. Mm. If there was one thing that you wish you'd done differently in terms of becoming an independent provider, what would it be? Oh, one thing. Um, I wish I wish I could have done it 15 years ago, <laughs> but that's kind of a real hypothetical because the NDIS wasn't around then, so I couldn't have done it. In terms of starting the business, probably things like doing those courses in social media and um, and I guess really worried about taking the leap to do it. Um, that was a leap of faith. So I'm glad I took it, but there was probably at my stage of my career, probably a lot of people saying, oh, you know, it's a time to retire. And I knew I had uh, more years and more, more, I guess, to bring that experience to bear of having so many years in the field. But I think it's so many years of, of really challenging myself and learning and trying to get better and better as an instructor. And I think having finished the PhD, um, that really helped me clarify my not only my thoughts on orientation and mobility and the benefit it can be to other people, but also my values around that and be very clear on, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing. So maybe if I had one real wish, it would have been maybe do the PhD earlier in my life because I think that for me really was a, a you know, a catalyst for clarifying my values around orientation and mobility. I probably just, you know, after 40 years, I can reflect back and I'm probably enjoying my work as much now or more than I ever have. Um, I think I have a different relationship in terms of being a professional. I'm with this smaller group of clients. So I'm kind of part, I see myself as part of their A team. You know, it's kind of their support team as well as, you know, OTs and, and family and friends, you know, people who are in their corner who are wanting them to like really sort of, I guess, 
improve the quality of their life. And I've never really thought of myself as that. I thought it was more about focus of mobility is often on the dog or the cane or whatever, but it's really being that person who's really kind of a skilled coach who can not only improve the person's skills and, and strategies, but also just in the way the person feels about themselves and knowing that someone's in their corner. Um, I think think that's something I'm really enjoying at the moment and it can I think it's only come you know with with this change to my own company and uh, and not having to worry about a load of other things and agendas and stuff I can really focus in on the client and what their needs are and where they want to go in life and be a partner in helping them get there. Nowadays the rules are getting so strict around what you can and can't do when you're part of an organization you know you're not even supposed to go and have coffee with the client unless there's a very specific reason why you're doing it. And I think that's a real loss to the community because there's so much information that can be imparted by somebody who knows what's going on just over a coffee table or a dinner table or whatever, um, especially for somebody who is not very confident, who is still learning the ropes um, and all of that sort of thing. And if you don't develop that personal contact and I'm not saying you have to be the best friend or anything like that, but if you don't develop that personal contact with the client, then the client misses out on that. Mm, yeah. And I think it's always going to be a tricky one, isn't it? The boundaries issue. Mm. And I find here yeah, the the boundaries are probably a little bit looser in what I do. And I think it's just because I know how to deal with those. But I'll often go and, you know, in my own time, go and watch, you know, the client um maybe doing horse riding or, you know, athletics or whatever their things outside, especially those things outside of school or things outside of their, you know, the mainstream, just getting around the shops and stuff, but just their, their mobility in other settings. And it's really interesting to do that because you sort of gain more insights into the way you know, they can function across different environments. And, and often I'm not there just to look at their mobility, but just look at their social, you know, their social skills, their life skills in another setting. And that helps me, ah, oh, this is a new setting they want to go into and I can kind of apply the learnings from that. So I get to, probably what I'm trying to say is I get to know my clients a little bit more than I would when I've got a big caseload and you're basically just, you know, achieving the mobility goals in kind of isolation from a more holistic view of the person mm. and um and also the relationship that goes with that yeah so um and i'm a bit more available to people so because people are busy you know if they're a mother and they've got kids and you know they're they're working and um you know so sometimes i get an email at night well i kind of go well that's the time the person's available in my own business i can do that you know because i go well, that's really important for them it's important for me and i'll answer it straight away so i tend to get but you know no one abuses that i don't get 2 a.m <laughs> emails i draw the boundary somewhere <laughs> but um you know if someone's just got home and said, look, I've just finished a shift. I'm, I'm, you know, sorry about contacting you, but just letting you know about tomorrow. You know, I just find that's really good. And we, we have that, we have that relationship. I can, you know, I can do that and I actually appreciate it. Errol Ingram there, an independent orientation and mobility instructor. You can find Errol's company on the internet by searching for Blind Focus in Google. 
The Office of Blind Citizens Australia has now reopened as of this week. If you'd like to get in touch with them, of course, you may do so. The telephone number is 1-800-033-660. That number again, 1-800-033-660. If you'd like to email bca at bca.org.au. BCA at bca.org.au. If you'd like to find out more about the work of Blind Citizens Australia and perhaps donate to the organisation to uh, to keep it going, you can have a look at the BCA website, bca.org.au. As well as that, of course, you can find plenty of uh, recent episodes of New Horizons. In fact, I think it goes back well, about a year or more. If you'd like to find out more about that, search for New Horizons on the BCA website. If you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, look for Blind Citizens Australia in your podcast app of choice. If you've got any story ideas for New Horizons in 2022, then get in touch with me, new.horizons at bca.org.au is the address, new.horizons at bca.org.au. And I'll talk to you again next week. We'll achieve the realisation of a dream.